Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name's Ara. And my name's Darren. Not just Darren, but Dr. Darren Andrade. He's a fellow of gastroenterology and hepatology at Banner Good Samaritan, which is, which is a hospital. Are you actually referred to as, like, Dr. Darren or Dr. D by the patients? Occasionally. It's more by my colleagues uh, or my family. They call me Dr. D or Dr. Darren. Does anyone call you fellow? Uh, no. No. See, I, w- I, I would have thought that if you, once having earned such a wonderful title, that you should, you deserve to be called a fellow yeah. on a day-to-day basis. But that's really just a bridge to finally being out, out on my own. Once I finish the fellowship, then I'm then I'm no longer a fellow. I'm actually just, I guess you would call it an attending. Uh, so I don't actually, all I know is what I've learned on that horrible TV show my, my wife likes to watch. Which the, is which The one, one? with the, the name and the chick and the airplane and the death. You know what I'm talking about. Grey's Anatomy. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So that's a, so I, there's, there's doctors that went to school for a really long time but are still not allowed to be doctors. Right. And then they do some stuff for a while and they do some more stuff, and then eventually they can call themselves doctors. Yeah, I'm what doing are, the stuff. You're doing right the now. stuff yeah. in the middle, after the schooling, but before the, exactly. the badge. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, all of you listening may be wondering, why do we have a doctor on the show? I can tell you I'm wondering that. <laughs> this is this may be true as well. Yeah. So okay, so this was all my fault. So why don't I? Um, I suppose I owe everybody an explanation. So there was a story that was, came out a couple weeks ago, and in, somewhere in Florida, there's uh, a hospital. I know it's hard to believe, and there was this doctor down there named Doctor Roser, and he actually did this uh, research study with a couple hundred surgeons. And he had him play six minutes of a video game. It was actually uh, Super Monkey Ball 2. I don't know if you've ever played Super Monkey Ball, Darren. No, no, I've never played it. Have you ever played the physical labyrinth game? You hold the box and the marble rolls? Yeah. It's that in a video game. It's kind of like that, but more unfair. (laughs) But anyway, so he had them play this, and they found out that, um, right, he had like two groups play because it's a proper controlled study. So one group played with the preparation of six minutes of video game and one group didn't and then after the fact what they did was they performed a simulated laparoscopic surgery and he found out now this might be old news to you Darren but he found out that the surgeons who played monkey ball did much much better Mm. practicing with the game and in fact he found out that uh, those who played the game for more than three hours a week they made 37% fewer errors they were 27% faster. 37 or just 7%? 37. 37%. Fewer errors. Less errors, yeah. And they played it for three hours a week? Yeah. For how many weeks? For more than three hours a week. Uh, nobody knows. Okay. Not I, I'm assuming over time, right, practicing over time for a long time. Okay. And they were, they were 37, 27% faster, and they scored... 26% better overall than the surgeons who did not play games. Uh, do you get score in surgery normally? No, not usually. So I, I, don't, I don't know where they're getting the score from, but apparently uh, they were getting scored on their surgical I, I'm sure <laughs> it's like the Olympics where they have cards, you know, where they raise above their heads. Maybe so. Seven or eight <laughs> or nine. Maybe so, but this is this, this is, is so this is simulated. You said laparoscopic. Well, surgery? yeah, because they can't have them actually operate. Well, well, of course, but I don't know what laparoscopic surgery means. Maybe Darren can explain what laparoscopic Please. surgery. Please, I, I can explain that actually. Uh, but before I do, so wait, so is Super Monkey Ball kind of like? A, have you ever played Marble Madness? It's uh, it's very much like that, right? So you're basically negotiating this marble or this ball, right, uh, on this field of obstacles, and you have to basically steer, and so you have to basically... It's very much like threading the needle type of activity. W- what know? system did they play it on? Well, it's on the Wii. Well, it's important. It could have been on the GameCube, right? Oh, you know what? Actually, wait, that makes no sense. Well, hell, it could have been every... No, no, no. <laughs> it would have to be on the GameCube, because that's what Super Monkey Ball 2 came out on. Uh, was it specifically Super Monkey Ball 2? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so the difference between Marble Madness is... Well, a couple things. Marble Madness was originally in the arcade and used a trackball. Yeah. Um, so you'd be spinning trackball. Uh, and in that game, you're actually pushing the marble itself. You're not rotating the world. 
-hmm. Whereas in Super Monkey Ball, it's more like Labyrinth, where you control the entire surface of the world, and then the more uh, gravity forces the, the ball wherever it needs to go. So in this case, you've got a little monkey and a ball. It's, that part's irrelevant to the game. But you're using the analog control stick to tilt the world mm-hmm. in whatever direction you want. On the Wii, there's also a Wii version. In that case, you're actually, like, I assume you're moving the whole controller, but, right. but that's yeah. why it was important, which yeah, is which. Probably. So you're using your thumb. Your thumb is integral here, mm-hmm. and you're just tilting an analog stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the visual, you know, feedback and all that. But uh, okay. it does it. So in that way, it's very different than Monkey Ball, the control mechanism. Yeah. So why don't you educate us on laparoscopy? Okay. So laparoscopic surgery, so uh, is in contrast to open surgery. So, for example, uh, say you have to get your gallbladder out. Yeah, which I had. I know. <laughs> so uh, there are two ways to get your gallbladder out. One is by an open cholecystectomy. Cholecystectomy meaning removing your gallbladder surgically. Uh, the alternate is uh, a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. I hate cholecysts, by the yeah. way. Do you know if yours was open or laparoscopic? Oh, no, it was totally lapro. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was out of there within like a couple of So this is like oh, they, yeah. they cut a couple tiny little holes and then stick a exactly. stick inside of you? Exactly. So... Usually, uh, I mean, I don't know all the specifics because I'm not actually a surgeon, but what I do is very similar to laparoscopic surgery. So usually they'll cut uh, at least three holes, uh, maybe about a centimeter wide, and through one of them uh, goes a camera that's on a long probe. And uh, it's all through the use of fiber optics and uh, very advanced technology that's very expensive. And uh, that camera will go inside your stomach, and then through the other probes will go their instruments, their surgical instruments. So there'll be like a small knife or a small uh, cauterization tool, um, and uh, basically like little mini hands, I guess, if you will. And uh, using them, and they, on the end of them, they have controls. I guess I guess the listeners can't really see what I'm doing with my hands, but you guys can see what I'm He's doing. He's using with my two hands, hands as if yeah. operating control, like yeah. giant syringes with little circles or yeah. sticks. Or it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like those claws, like the thing where you had like the lever and then the claw on the end, and you yeah. can use it to grab things. So it's kind of like that, like so controls is, on the end of. A is there actually thing. like a trigger on these controls? That yeah, you there's, there's triggers. There's buttons. Um, Wait, are they analog or digital buttons? This is very important. Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay, fair I su- enough. <laughs> I suspect there's a mix of both. Like, cauterization would be on-off. Right. Whereas a, a cutting or snipping tool, might you might actually pull back some sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm so... I'm fascinated already. And so... And it all projects up onto a TV screen. So you're essentially... Uh, using your hands to control these controls and... What you're doing is represented on a screen. I gotta say, in this particular situation, I think I could probably perform this surgery. Yeah. So, so that's the thing. So, what I do as a gastroenterologist uh, is uh, I do upper endoscopies and colonoscopies, and uh, it's essentially very a very similar thing. What I have is a long tube with a camera on the end of it uh, and a very bright light, and uh, it's all through the use of fiber optics as well. Um, but you don't have to cut a hole. No. No, I know. The hole's already there. Lucky, lucky you. <laughs> well, I still do. I, I still do. But not to say I don't do very risky maneuvers inside your body, uh, but I'll, I can I can go in through your mouth, down into your stomach and your uh, small intestine, or I can go in through your anus into yeah. your into your rectum and your colon. Best and, part. Um, how, how long does it take to go from the mouth to reach the uh, small intestine? Uh. A matter of seconds. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's uh, it's very quick. It's a very short passage. That's that's um, the clean method. Down. It the doesn't way. it doesn't seem short. Yeah, the and, other one that's the dirty work. Yeah, the the other one is actually the longer procedure, the the colonoscopy. Um, there's a lot of intestines. Those are typically done in under ten minutes. Wow, going all the way to the end of your colon and all the way back, and that's with removing polyps and precancerous lesions and things like that. And so, I imagine in this case, speed. Is is valuable, like in the old times when cutting off the leg or whatever, speed was yeah value. Yeah, I mean, definitely in emergency type situations when someone's, uh, you know, you'll have people who are coming in and vomiting blood, and you know their blood pressure's dropping, their heart starts beating faster, and uh, you need to stop this bleeding 
bleeding ulcer, for example, in their stomach. This is just like trauma center. Before they they bleed out. Yeah, so uh, a lot of the stuff that we do is routine, you know, like routine colonoscopies and things, but a lot of of the measures that we do can be life-saving at times, and uh, that's usually for bleeding. Uh, in the digestive tract. Now, now, what kind of controls do you have when you're actually modulating, you know, the scope through uh, all the disgusting body parts? Yeah, yeah. So on on mine, I have a, so like I said, it's a long tube with a camera, and then on the end of it is essentially a joystick. Yes. And it this has, is what I was waiting for. Guys. Yeah, yeah. So it has a it has two wheels that you can spin. One of the the, the big wheel makes the c- camera look up or down. And then the smaller wheel makes it look left or right. So you can essentially look all around by maneuvering the, d- the two wheels at the, the same the time. The hand motions he's making really make it look like he's driving an RC car. The one that has like yeah. the handle with the wheel on the side? Yes, it is very much like this. Okay. Yes. Um, and then there are also buttons on it. So, for example, so if this is it, so there's two wheels... I'm I'm holding a bottle right now. Yeah. So beer is more useful than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So there would be two wheels here, and then there'd be buttons here, and uh, then there's a button. There are buttons on the back too. So all right. So you, buttons handled with the left hand, wheels controlled with the right hand. Yeah. Um, but also, but not always, because sometimes the wheel is just maneuvered with your left, because you also have to use your right hand to guide the scope. Um, That's how you move forward and backward. Exactly. Very manual. You don't have an assistant for that? No, no. You do it all by yourself. So, uh, I mean, you have assistants that assist you with other parts of the procedures, but usually your other hand is either close to the mouth or close to the patient's rear end and uh, is helping maneuver the the long tube in and out of the patient's body. So, essentially... Hold hold on to that thought. We're going to go to break. Collect your thoughts. What would be the most important thing to tell us about this process? We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back once again. We're listening to disgusting colonoscopy talk with Dr. Darren Andrade at Chatterbox Video Game Radio. This is exactly what you expected to hear on the show today, I'm sure. Eventually, this is going to actually lead to video games, I promise you. I feel like we've already gotten there. No, 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 there's, there's more, but, but right now we're right in the middle of, of, of Darren's description of uh, how the, how the, the scopy is operated. Yeah, so bef- before we continue, I'm going to point out that this, by the way, is not the sort of thing that you would learn if you went to the University of Advancing Technology, whose website is uat.edu, but there's other stuff, and in fact... Maybe you could make a more interesting operation game if you listen to this show and then go to that school and put something together. I would. Have you played any of the the surgeon the the, the surgery games? No, I actually yeah, there's, haven't. There's that's what I was referring to last segment. There's one called Trauma Center, right? And right. it's you get you have to do all these moves, and it's you know it's, it maps to very. You're you actually know. a magical doctor, and you <laughs> yeah. can. I'm not kidding. Uh, and then you can, like, slow down time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Wait, it's, you can do that in that game? At least in the second one. Oh, yeah. There's, like, a bunch of them. So I didn't play the one where you were the magical doctor. I played yeah, well, it's very hard to figure out because you have to, like, like, make a star or something. And then it's... I'm not good at the second one. The first one I'm good at. The second one I can't get very far. I don't. So in the second one you're a magical doctor who draws pentagrams on patients' bodies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Great. 
Okay, so before the break, you were telling us about the the control that you have. You you don't have a picture of this device. No, do I don't. I don't. Because we could totally put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, this would be interesting. Uh, we could probably find if I knew exactly um, what device. We're I'm sure to. we could find. Yeah, something. yeah. I mean, you could pull it up pretty easily through Google Images or the search yeah. engine of your choice. I so guess. Do, specifically, do you know what this device is called? Uh, yeah. If you just searched endoscope or colonoscope, oh. it would come up. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Well, then you listeners should do that. Um, yeah. Okay, right, so yeah, we, we won't this. do the legwork, so they'll get to see all the <laughs> disgusting pictures that they didn't want to see on the way to figuring out what this looks like. So, so before I ask you a couple of questions, do you have anything more that you want to you convey about how this mechanism works, this left-hand, right-hand business? No, really, uh, what it boils down to is a lot of uh, eye-hand coordination, and it's actually funny that you guys invited me on the show, and thank you, by the way, for inviting me. Uh, but it's funny because before this, before even knowing that your show existed, when people asked me, what, it, what do you do, like people who had never even heard of a gastroenterologist before, after I would explain to them, oh, you know, it's a long tube with a camera, and I use a joystick, and it's projected on a screen, the next thing that I would say is that essentially what I do is a very high-stakes video game. And I've essentially been training for it my entire life since I was, you know, at least four years old playing video games. So does it suck that you had to go to, like, seven years of school beforehand when you could have just sort of picked this up in a few months? Uh, yeah, well, you, you require a little bit more knowledge when uh, a game over means the patient dies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you need a little bit more background knowledge, so... <laughs> But, like, you need to know how to solve all, all sorts of things. Yeah. Just a general MD. Yeah. When really all you're doing is messing with the endoscope most of the time. Well, what, what we always say is that uh, scoping isn't actually the hard part of the job. You could teach a monkey to scope, they always say. Uh, what, is, uh, what requires a doctor's knowledge is what to do with the information that you get when you're in there. Okay. Uh, making decisions, oh, do I use this technique to stop this bleeding, or do I use this technique to remove this polyp, or what is it exactly that I'm looking at even, uh, is not clear unless you actually have an MD or a DO or uh, Okay, a well, then degree. I should keep my mouth shut. I'm <laughs> sure a, it means a lot. It's a... Here's the thing that fascinates me. You're, you're actually better at this than your peers who have not played video games their whole life. I mean, I, I'm not going to say on the air if, whether or not I'm better than anyone that I work with. Uh, what I will say is that uh, a lot of the nurses that I've worked with uh, since I started uh, have said, oh, you, your technical abilities with the scope are much better than the average person at your level of training. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, there's a lot to be said with In that. In other words, you just said that you're better than everybody else. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm generally fascinated by uh, interface, like hardware interface so this this is interesting to me so you've got okay. you've got this singular device right it's not where these other doctors have like one with a camera and then two that they're controlling right right you have just one device that is the camera and the everything else all in one yes okay so conceivably you could control this one device with two hands like shoving it in in and out of the body and then controlling the wheels and then controlling the handle with the left hand um so you could do that by yourself but there's still like too many functions to to control everything Yes. All at once with the, the limited hands that you have. Exactly. So um, if you're not going to have anybody else controlling it at the same time, could you conceive of a way to, to modify the device so that you could get more control out of it? Like, like right now, video game systems are adding you know, uh, cameras to see what I'm doing with the Kinect or audio controls. Um, there's all sorts of systems that have used different types of controls, like virtual reality headsets, where you can turn your head. So you could perhaps get the camera control totally with your head if you had a visor on. That could control the camera, so you would only be with your hands controlling the actual positioning of the device rather than the, the camera. Right? So in other words, what I'm saying is you could change it to do more mm -hmm. with, with more inputs that are controlled by things that are not your hands. Uh, right. Do, do you see potential or some possibilities with that. I think that, uh, I think that down the road, and we're talking years and years from now, uh, more than 10 years, probably 20, 30, 40 years out, uh, what we'll eventually have is uh, essentially like a mini remote control car where you don't have that tube anymore and it's a separate entity that you're controlling that is going through the body. And 
with the press of different buttons. So it, at this point, it'll really be a video game because you'll just be using a controller and controlling this thing inside a patient's body, kind of like the Magic School Bus, if you will. Um, Never seen it. When, when's this coming? In five <laughs> years? In ten years? We'll, we'll see. I, 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 already have, think, I think I want to wait for that before I get my colonoscopy. We already <laughs> have pill cameras that people can swallow. Right? Yeah, exactly. So we, we have those. Uh, the, the cameras that we have in pill form at this point are only cameras, so we can't do any sort of interventions. Uh, but we can see through your digestive tract with the pill cameras at this point. So, you know, it's just a matter of how do we get that pill to actually do things when it's in there other than just snap pictures. And uh, that's uh, hopefully the next step. Now, there's there's another aspect of this that is somehow related to games that I, I want to explore a little bit. Do you find, when you're doing these scopies, do you find that that activity is actually rewarding for you? Do you, do you like doing them? Is it satisfying? Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, it's probably my favorite part of the job. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to... I didn't want to, like, color or lead you in that direction at all. But here, here's the interesting thing, and this is why uh, it's so cool to me that you said that without me prompting you for it. There was uh, one of my favorite academic badasses is this guy named Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, okay? And he's very famous for uh, having a super long name, and he's even more <laughs> famous for... Uh, basically, he was the originator of this concept called flow, and he wrote about this, uh, like, like maybe 20, 30 years ago. And the concept of flow is this concept of performance at, with maximal engagement. And he actually, what he actually showed was that activities of performance like chess, dancing, mountain climbing, and surgery, and now video games, these are actually, all these activities are very closely, closely related in terms of his concept of flow, which was that they are very, very engaging Right, because they they allow you to basically enter that state where you're just maximally engaged, where uh, the challenge of the activity you're doing meets your abilities, and it's at that level. But right, because the thing is, right, if it's if it's above your level too far, then you get frustrated, and if it's below your level too far, then you get bored. And he actually interviewed a bunch of surgeons, and many of the surgeons said in their interviews that they. They like doing surgery, not because it pays them tons and tons of money, <laughs> but they would they would do it anyway because it's just such an intrinsically satisfying thing. And to them, it's a very – it just feels very good to be able to perform a surgery with, for example, like a lot of economy of movement and just to be able to just do it very well. And that's just like it's what, – what the word is, is it's intrinsically rewarding, right? Whereas mm -hmm. like the extrinsic reward – would be the amount of money you're getting, right? Right. And so uh, this seems to be very analogous to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a technical skill that you have to learn over the course of your training. And uh, it's, uh, in my case, it's something that's very fun. And uh, like I said, I feel it's like it's like a game at times, a very high-stakes game, of course. Sure, sure. But uh, it's something, you know, you go in with the intent to do something, uh, to help this patient, and you go in, you do it, and uh, more often than not, it works, and then you come out, and you feel like you actually did something to help this patient. Um, so it's very gratifying in that way, and uh, patients are always very um, very grateful, and that, that feeling is very uh, warming. Yeah, uh, I can, warm I can fuzzy, imagine. I guess. Do you feel like you get better over time? Oh yeah, definitely. If you if you took me on the first couple of days that I was doing this uh, when I started my fellowship last year, uh, I basically was non-functional. And when you're training, when you're in fellowship, you're doing it with a board-certified gastroenterologist who has been doing this their whole life. Uh, and so you know, when you get to that part where it's like, oh, I'm stuck, I need help, then they they take over and they take the scope from you and they do what needs to be done. Uh, but even just after doing it for just one year, I'm much more capable of doing things than I was compared to when I first started. So the learning curve is very steep, and uh, um, you get you you get much better very quickly in the initial stages. Do you, do you think that mental confidence is the main hurdle there? 
or is it actually the physical act of, of performance? It's it's probably both. Uh, when the physical aspect d- doesn't, when, when you're when you're physically not doing what you want to be doing, that's when the mental kicks in. Why is this not working? Why is the scope not doing what I want it to do right now? Uh, and so, uh, it's a little bit of both. I would say it's probably equally uh, physical and mental. So that's that's really interesting that you mentioned that because the Chiksit Mahayi would have said that. Right when when you enter that state where you're becoming really self-conscious, right? That you were just describing, and I mean that's like you kind of become more self-conscious. I'm, I'm putting that on you, but that's sure, that's, sure. that's fair to say, right? Yes, absolutely. yeah. That's when you kind of you've you've lost the flow, right? And so your performance suffers because of it, because now you're you're kind of like turning inwardly upon yourself, right? And trying to like analyze like what's happening, right? And then that kind of just like breaks the uh, flow, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're at the end of this segment. Um, unless we have any more to say, I just, this, this is fascinating. I really want to see that thing. <laughs> so hopefully I'll remember and I'll put a picture up on our, our Facebook page. Uh, but basically, just thank you for coming in. Oh, for thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we don't usually get to, um, you know, uh, wrangle doctors to come and talk about <laughs> stuff like this. So, okay, I mean, he's my neighbor, so that's how I got this to work. So well, I'm so glad that you were my neighbor, and, yeah, thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem, guys. Anytime. And, and overall, we now have proof that gaming makes people better. There you go. Think, at least better than their peers, which you most certainly are. And But he's <laughs> not allowed to say it. But he's not allowed to admit it, so he didn't say it. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll take responsibility for that. Right, okay. yeah. I, w- so. I would say anyone anyone who is a, a gamer and is trying to figure out what they want to do with their life, if they want to help people, gastroenterology or minimally invasive surgery is the way to go. <laughs> Anything with a robot hand, I think, is the solution. Good. Uh, anyway, thank you very much. We're going to break. We'll be right back. Well, we're back after all that surgery talk. This is going to be this is going to be an exciting show, I think. I've been I've been excited for a whole half a show already. Yeah, I mean, what I what I mean is, I'm, I'm curious what people are going to say about this episode. If they're going to have liked it, thought it was good. I mean, how many other video game shows bring in a surgeon? Is or he a surgeon? Uh, well, he's not a surgeon, but not he a does... surgeon, but he does things that are surgery like. That's right. Nobody else. This is this is the kind of value we bring. Okay. Well, that's that's good. I feel great about this. Now, we can talk about some other things too. Or there's is there anything? He's gone now, right? So we can totally talk about him however we want. I think well, that was good, though. Yeah. No. No. That was fantastic. What What did we miss? What did we want to say while he was here that we didn't? <sighs> Nothing. Just actually. how good he is a guitar hero. Actually. And... Well, I was just curious. I, he never told me how good he was. Okay, but, and, he, but he's all right. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's just an expert. Maybe he's just incredible because he's got uh, he's got to practice all day with uh, you know camming around inside people's guts. Well, I want to try it. You want to try camming around in people's guts? Yeah, I want to get the endoscope. I feel like if it's on a television screen and it's not blood, I feel like I could handle it. Okay, well, because it's tr- going through holes that are already there. Yeah, don't try it on me. Try it on your wife or somebody else. It's I fine. Okay. I'm, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure you'll be fine. All right. So let's let's okay, change topics. Before here. we go further, I want to announce something. Another announcement. Yes. Oh, so, okay. so our our friends over at Retro Gaming Magazine are doing a Kickstarter for Retro Gaming Magazine. We say friends, but we don't actually know these people. Well, uh, I've decided he's my friend as of last week. Okay. So there. Good. You've researched enough to vouch for him, is what you're saying. But so, he's not like, he's not a neighbor like Dr. Darren. He's not as good a friend as Darren, 
Okay. And and certainly he would not be as good as one if Darren needed to scopey me. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, they're doing a worthy Kickstarter. It's for a video game magazine about retro stuff. And this is totally in line with, you know, the kinds of stuff that we talk about. So if you're into it, that sort of thing, you can go to readretro.com or I'm sure on the Kickstarter, you can just go to Kickstarter and look up Retro Gaming Magazine. They've got four days to go on their Kickstarter. It ends this Sunday. And basically what they're doing is they're asking for funding for six issues of a bi-monthly magazine. And they're going to guarantee 52 pages each issue at a minimum. And four ads, four pages of ads at a maximum. So this is not the usual uh, ad city that you're uh, accustomed – well, you're not accustomed to reading any magazines because they're almost all gone. But it's a lot of content and not a lot of fluff and uh, we want to support them. So if you are also agreeable to supporting them, uh, go check them out. Now – and and of course, how much uh, how much money are they looking for? They're they're asking for fifty k, which is actually, I am surprised at how small that is to produce. Six issues because they will be print issues as well as online, and uh, it's I mean that's a lot of production. So, I wonder, I wonder how much they could actually do with fifty k, because I mean this is also. I mean, this is work. It is work. It's, to put it's, it together. They have stretch goals, too. So if they, if they beat their 50K, which I suspect they may, they have uh, further goals, which uh, will make the product even better. But what's, what's, uh, what should be noted to our listeners is that this is not one of those Kickstarters where we mention it and it ends in like a month. This is over in a few days. So if you're, if you're hearing this and you don't listen to our episode as soon as it comes out, it might be over already this is this is true what are we and looking at like four days left when yeah sunday while, while we were recording it's over on sunday and you know it's sunday uh, the third of november precisely okay yeah so if you're into that get on it you know now because not you know kickstarters have the, like they get a lot at the beginning then they sort of like quiet down for a bit and then at the end they get a, a big like push of money because people want to get in there before it's over that that seems to be the way so th- this is that end, though. So uh, so get on that. I'm, is is there anything on their Kickstarter that sort of like shows off an example of what they might be producing? It seems like they have a bunch of uh, example pages or something like that. Or by a bunch, I mean a couple. And it's all retro stuff. Talking right. about so it's the about, 8 bits and the 16 bits and all that. Yeah, they'll have some new information, of course. But it's all going to be couched around the basically all, yeah, the whole like 8-bit, 16-bit old game stuff. Incidentally, there is a magazine in the UK where people still care about old video games that was, I, I don't remember what it was called, but my friend gave me a few issues and it was all, it was very nice because it's all about old games and you just see all those beautiful screenshots of all the beautiful pixels and, you know, they have this, it's funny because like in the corner of the magazine when you buy it, there's like this little rainbow thing and it says old exclamation mark, right? Instead of new. That's like the little shtick they do. Okay. So I kind of – I miss the old magazines. And by the old magazines, I mean really the old magazines. I kind of feel like – you know, I mean you, you, you grew up during the time of, you know, the heyday of the video game press too. And – you know, around the 80s, early 90s, I thought video game magazines were awesome. And then in the 2000s, I'm sure someone or most everyone will disagree, but I thought they they got kind of lame around that time. And uh, and then they just almost... Around, around what time now? Uh, just, let's say the past 10 years. Well, I basically consider magazines not existing these days. Yeah, and then now they're almost all gone anyway, so... The funny thing was back then, one of the, the thing about games that didn't really survive so strongly that made magazines cool was that games in a lot of ways were about secrets and you could, you know, because they were 2D, the magazines could make 2D maps of games and that would be really awesome. Like, I mean, Nintendo Power did that all the time. 
And that's just like a really fantastic way to visualize things. And it's just so cool to see that on the printed page. And you know, when the games went into like three D stuff, it was not not so not so fun to look at maps in the same way. You know. Yeah. So now let me let me use this to segue into what I did this week relating to older games. Unfortunately, I don't have a ton to really to really mention here. But I was in New York, and I went to this place called very simply Video Games New York. I believe their website is just that Video Games New York dot com. Um, but it was like, it was like a haven for gaming everything. They had lots of 8-bit Nintendo stuff. They had lots of 16-bit. The, the whole, I mean, it ran the whole gamut. Everything was there. But it went further back, right? Like, not just Atari 2600 stuff, which, by the way, they didn't really showcase. They had a lot of games stacked up. But in New York, shops can be really small. I don't know how much you know about, like, New York hole-in-the-wall I, I can visualize this. And it was it was a mess. It was like walking into your buddy's bedroom, you know? Like, when you walk, there's stuff everywhere, boxes on the floor, and just shelves that are homemade to stuff as many video games as they can. Like, it's, it's not exactly the prettiest place, but it has all sorts of stuff. It had, like, MSX stuff. It had... Um, like Intellivision voice synthesis modules for that, sale. Now, is this stuff marked up like crazy or reasonable prices? Some too? stuff was marked up like they had TurboGrafx stuff. TurboGrafx games in boxes like East Two or Ballast Two and East Three that were like on the order of three hundred dollars for just the Hue card in the box. Yikes! Was it was it an open box or something? Yeah, like it was the it was a mint looking box. But then the Hue cards by themselves were still pretty expensive. And, like, I remember I had I had a TurboGrafx with the CD player add-on. And, you know, now they're selling that stuff for 300 bucks there. That's and about the price it was when it came out, wasn't it? Pretty, pretty much. Their Dreamcast, they, they have a few Dreamcasts that are brand new, sealed. They sell for 150 bucks, oh. which is, I mean, less than when it originally came out, but more than you could get it for on eBay these days. I remember the day that I bought my TurboGrafx CD. That you had one too. Gigantic box. Do you remember that box? Yeah, because it actually it had t- the traveling case with it. Yeah, taller than some children. Yeah, it's the biggest video game box that I've seen. I, yeah, I had it there, so I was reminded of it this week. Yeah, I believe it. And I just rem- I remember the first times when I was playing some of those games, and I was. It's just so funny because the graphics are still crude, but because they used you know the Red Book audio. CD audio quality for the sound. I was, I was like, this yeah. is incredible. It sounds East so good. East two with this rock soundtrack, like it's. And, well, you know what the the amazing. You know what's funny about that game, East one and two, is that it wasn't just that it was CD quality sound and audio. Well, really, the background music. Speaking was. of CD quality sound, yeah. So I'll tell you about that when we come back. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back once again. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio, and I'm going to get right into it. 
We're talking about CD quality sound. So, okay, East 1 and 2. Look. I, need a, I need some sort of ding, like a THX ding sound effect. For what? I don't so know. So everyone knows that we're talking about CD quality sound? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> which, CD, which doesn't mean anything like, to anyone Get me a days. wine glass I can tap a fork on. <laughs> so the soundtrack to that game was so incredible. It just happened to be right at the dawn of CD quality music for video games. But that was only a coincidence. It was, I mean, just everything about that the music for that game. I mean, the instrumentation was incredible. It was just a fantastic soundtrack. The mix was amazing. It just sounded, it is arguably one of the greatest still to this day, video game soundtracks of all time. And the funny thing is, was that that was the start of my descent into a never-ending abyss of collecting East soundtracks. And you may ask, why is it an just, abyss? Just for all time, you mean? Well, it was so good. It was. It's kind of like, you know, the crack addict's, you know, first pipe. It was so good that I had... I just I was chasing that goodness ever since. And of course, for the East fans, the Japanese soundtrack makers uh would totally uh indulge them. So there were actually tons and tons of soundtracks and re-soundtracks and it's the same soundtrack, here's the symphonic version, here's the jazz version, here's the chiptune version here's there's just like the same soundtrack they just do over and over and over with different oh, instrumentation dude chiptune yeah. so at at video games new york they have a bunch of like pro modified original game boys like original original game boys but with like special physical outputs modified on them that i guess i mean i'm sure i could How strange i could do this myself right mod it but uh but yeah they sell those so so that DJs and stuff who mess with those sounds can have them, right? They've yeah. got like stereo headphone outputs, or and then like RCA outputs on the top of them. It was weird. That's but that's the sort cool. of stuff I'm talking about. Like they had cool, cool stuff here, new and old. They had this weird thing made by Konami that you would put the original Game Boy in, the big like beige one, right? You'd stick it in there, and it had like this magnifying. It looked like a TV. But it was just a little bit bigger than the normal one, but it had a backlight on it, or rather a front light. And then also had a joystick and an A and a B button. And they, like, the joystick and the buttons would mechanically press the directions and the buttons on the Game Boy that was physically in the back of this device. And the device was not electronic except for the light that was on it. It was all just mechanical. That's that's incredible. It was like a TV station you sat it in. All sorts of stuff I've never seen before. Well, uh, look, to... To close off the the previous thread about East 1 and 2, they never made a soundtrack or any derivation or anything that was even close to as good as the original. And so I ended up basically buying uh, tens and tens and tens of soundtracks in search for something as good while never being satisfied, much like The Crack Addict. But since that game, the way that the TurboGrafx CD games worked their soundtracks were on the same disc as actual CD audio, right? So, like, the first track was the data track. That's right. And all so the other tracks were the audio. So you could just play that in a CD player. That's right, and I, and I did. Okay. And then I bought all the other versions. So when were you the buying these soundtracks? Just because you wanted more? More, because I thought, you know, I was like, this was so good that eventually, uh, some, well, first it was, this was so good, this other stuff might be just as good, and then it wasn't. And then uh, 30 soundtracks later, still unsatisfied. So I'm sure well, you know how that goes. So now in the age of, of MP3s and whatever, have you found the music from the original soundtrack online so you can just pop it in your computer? Or have you ripped it from the CD or something? Oh, I, I, I mean, I've ripped it a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I should, awesome. I, should, I should put that on my, you know, audio playing device. It's nice. It's good stuff. It's, it's incredible. All right. Good. Well, that was my trip to New York. It uh, well, that was a very small part of it, but it was it was awesome. If anybody is in New York or if they're looking for some rare game or whatever, like uh you can email them. I was trying to ask them what they thought some of my autograph stuff was worth, but apparently that's all over the place. 
but uh, but you know, I've got a bunch of games that over the years have had autographed by whatever developers I could weasel my way near. And um, yeah, I'm really curious what that stuff would go for in today's market. Not that I ever intend to sell it, but well, I have a feeling like it's probably worth a lot to one person and almost nothing to most people. Yeah, especially because I can't verify any of it. It's like I've had pictures over time taken with these people, but who the hell knows where those pictures are now? Uh, well, this is an Antiques Roadshow, so. Yeah. Okay, so so what else do we want to go over here? We're, we're less than a month away from these new systems coming out now, officially less than a month. You know, there's, uh, you know, Microsoft did something funny today. Just today? Uh, I think it was just today. It's very recently, if not today. They've uh, updated their terms of use. They always do that. Yes, and they've updated it in uh, interesting ways this time. Okay, so tell me about it. Basically, it's funny because they're on the, the the main thing that they're changing or updating is that they're basically asking everybody to all users to what's the term they used to promise that we will keep current all our personal information and once again you've heard me criti- uh, complaining about this a couple episodes ago and this is once again of course done all under the guise of for extra security much like my complaints last time and basically here's what they're saying they're like okay look there's a bunch of apps now that will interface with your ex- like Netflix there's like a Facebook thing there's a few more at least so what they're saying is that if you have those accounts and if you link those or use those in concert with your Xbox Live accounts, now they're now Microsoft is entitled to not just confirm that the your account on that other service matches your account on this service, but they're just completely open to sharing all of your information with all of those other companies now. So that includes your name, your address, your email address, and your date of birth. And of course, me being the perennial skeptic, I think that this is nefarious. And because they're not, they don't just compare data. They're just saying that this gives us carte blanche to basically share this data back and forth. And another part of the new TOS says that, well, pretty much every single thing, every single action you perform online now it's basically you better expect it's going to be recorded and collected if you're not already. So every button you press, however long you stay on whatever screen, any action you take, all of your behavior online, all of your scores, all of your sessions, how much time you spend doing one thing versus how much time you spend doing another thing, all that stuff, they're going to use that for whatever they want to do. I kind of assumed that's what was going on already. Well, I did too because now I assume that everything I do online is constantly recorded and I act accordingly. It's it's interesting though that they want you to make make sure your information is all accurate because there's this concept of security through obscurity. Yes, and I love that concept and I exercise it as much as possible. So they yeah. All right. Well, little weird, but I can't say that I care too much. Um, well, you par- know what's partly because I know a little bit more deeply about how everything in the world is shared and beyond my control anyway. Well, this is the thing that scares me is that, you know, this stuff, okay, not everyone's sweating it right now. It's, you know, it's a slightly innocuous at times. But the problem is is that more and more of these things are becoming automatically operational without human intervention. And they're getting really complicated. They're already really complicated. And that is a recipe for science fiction horror movie 2020 in real life. Some kind of disaster is going to happen. It's going to be completely unintended. Nobody's going to know what's going to ha- how it's going to go down. But mark my words, there's going to be some kind of cataclysmic disaster with data somewhere that is going to make everybody question, maybe we should actually be worried about this stuff. You're worried about 
some sort of cataclysmic failure based on your Xbox Live activity? Look, it's not limited to Xbox Live. That is merely a reflection of the world at large, right? Which is more... I I just want to make sure I'm clear about this. (laughs) But yes, okay, if I will say yes to that even. I don't even... See, here's the funny thing is I don't even care about security on my Xbox Live account. What are you going to do? Buy a bunch of games? Oh, no. I have, like, what reason yeah. do I have, actually, to make, keep, keep all of my legit information on there? I don't, because if anything gets compromised, I would rather my information be fake so fake information gets compromised instead of real information. You're saying you value your information more than you do the potential loss of money. Well, look, what, what could I possibly lose on the Xbox Live account? Like, what could I lose by somebody hacking into it? Well, money. How could I lose money? They they could like charge up credits and all that to large amounts. And yeah, that's but a, I don't a pain in the ass to actually correct. Well, maybe so, but then I'm covered with credit card stuff, so I don't need to worry about that. I suppose. And all every, right, everything else. These are the kinds of accounts that I like to use the password a a a a a a. Yeah. And then if I need more security, a a a a a a one, capital B. <laughs> yeah, that's. That's not too far from my system, I suppose. I have a feeling like a lot of people have that system. Anyway, please, somebody go try to crack Ara's password. That'll be a nice gift for us next week. Thanks. Something to talk about on the show. That's exactly what I want. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Don't forget to visit uat.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, and our Facebook page at Facebook slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. As always, we will be back next week. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Or if you have a question for the doctor, he might come back. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us